What's that candidness? Is candor the the property of someone who's candid? I think so. I appreciate your candor. Wait, is it candor or candidness? I thought you just said it was candidness. No, I was saying, is candor like candidness? I don't think candidness is a word. I don't know. I don't know. Thank you for being you. Thank you for thanking me for being me. You're welcome. All right, welcome back to episode three of Surely You're Joking, Mr. Fine and the Science Comedy Podcast, hosted by me, Robbie Fine, and this week we're getting into our first science guest. Last week we started with comedian Sean Duffy, but this week we're going into the science world. We got a good friend of mine, Ryan Gelly. Uh, we went to undergrad together, study physics, and he kept going, working on his PhD in said physics at Harvard University. So really smart guy, really funny guy. I enjoyed talking to him a lot. Uh, we talked about his research in his PhD program, which he's wrapping up in the next year or so, studying electronic crystals, pretty cool stuff then at the end we also got into a little about you know the philosophy of physics for lack of a better term you know to sound like a couple college freshmen but hopefully a little older sounding getting right into it here is my interview with ryan gelly all right did i tell you what my podcast is called no surely you're joking mr finan haha <laughs> that's excellent yeah so it. welcome to the Surely You're Joking Mr. Fine and Podcast. Uh, Ryan. Thank you so much for having Ryan me. Ryan Gelly, Mr. Gelly, my old TA, LA. We'll say TA. It's all good. So Ryan is a real scientist. He's allegedly. A, allegedly. He's a he's a in a, one of the fi- final years last year, final year? Sixth year. Sixth year of his is that your final year? Well, it depends on if I graduate. We'll see. He's in his sixth year and a PhD at Harvard university in physics phd in physics so you're you, do you ever get um like so I, like i i just have a bachelor's in physics i'm an idiot uh but <laughs> when people hear that they like assume i'm way smarter than i am and like ask me some like outlandish question but like i don't i have no idea man like they hear that and just assume i have i know the answer to everything in the universe do people hear like oh you're doing your phd in physics at harvard and be like well, is is their life on this moon? Is yes, there, constantly. Yeah, stuff like yes, that. Yes, constantly. Yeah. <laughs> and I never know how to answer any of their questions. Yeah. Uh, and when they find out what I actually work on, suddenly the questions stop and they're no longer interested. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's like, um, is there any just like, because I, I feel like people ask questions that like they, do, do you ever get the impression like they don't even like really know what they're asking? Well, or, it depends. Or, like, so, do they ask anything crazy? What's like? Well, I mean, like the most common <laughs> questions are usually like very simple questions, and which also happen to be very hard questions to answer. Like, what's a black hole? Yeah. Okay. Cool. I've never taken a GR class, general relativity class, so I can't tell you anything more about a black hole than probably they could tell me, which is it's something that you know light can't escape from because of gravity. Next question. There you uh, go. You know, people are like, "Do you study string theory?" And I'm like, "No." There's a lot of different things you do in physics, and we're not all string theorists. Yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, black holes. I 
most picture pe- people picture like like a like a black tornado in space. Yeah. Yeah. Interstellar like did a lot pictured. for I never uh, saw did, that movie. Oh, well, it's apparently very faithful to what a black hole would look like. Huh. Is what I heard. Wait, would a black hole even look like anything? Isn't it? It's it's. Li- mm, but if there's, there's no light coming out of it, isn't it? Just it's the way that like matter around the black hole oh, interacts right. with it. It's how it looks, quote unquote, looks. Right, right. If you point it's a camera a, at it, yeah, what do you see? A way you can observe it. Oh yeah, like that donut they that that they released a few years ago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I think uh, that was a was that people at BU. That was a collaboration of a lot of different groups, and it's it's because fu- it's funny you go to you know seminars and you you hear people talking about these things and whether you go to you know MIT or Harvard or BU there's someone sitting up there with that picture on their title slide and they're like this is something that I contributed to and you know it's hard to I, I don't know exactly what um what what group was responsible for that for that particular image uh but it sounds like a lot of people had hands in bringing it to us yeah yeah I, I, th- I thought there was someone at, at BU um which is where we both went mm-hmm. um Oh, the other thing I know, I know just Harvard life. Is this like, I know you're, you're a goodwill hunting guy. Oh, big time. Yeah. Do have, is Barney actually a thing? Have you ever been called Barney? Have you ever heard someone call someone a Barney? You know, no. Like that's the, the quote unquote Boston slang for some, a Harvard student is a Barney. No, actually I didn't know that. Oh, you've never heard that? No. They say it in goodwill hunting. Uh, well, it must've gone over my head because no. I had no idea what it meant. Like the douche with the long blonde hair. Who's in like, the bar? Oh, you're, you're going to be, yeah, you're going to be serving me fries on a ski trip. And then like when they're leaving, like Ben Affleck's like a fucking Barney. Oh, I just, I don't know. There's a lot of slang in that movie that kind of doesn't make sense and so if i just chalked it up to that no i never no maybe behind my back <laughs> i don't think it's real I, I think it's like chowderhead or what it's like one of like one of those like yeah boston slang quote unquote that no one actually says like you just right. hear it in a mark Wahlberg movie but not in real life well like you know literally a minute and a half later in the movie you get the like famous line how do you like them apples and for the longest time i was like what does that mean it kind of doesn't it just doesn't mean anything he's just like no. is asking a question and being aggressive and like that's classic fine. yeah i just saw that meme on uh facebook like an hour ago there it is for the 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 like the score from the red sox yankees one game playoff last night threw that at the window how do you Amazing. like them apples but yeah um <clears throat> do you um and do you so we're going to talk about your research in a sec do you teach at harvard too are you doing much TAing? i'm not days? currently teaching i have taught um i've taught the freshman uh electricity and magnetism course uh which is a lot of fun most recently i taught it in the semester in the spring 2020 semester which was you know half in person and then half what the heck is zoom and how does this work yeah um so that was an experience do Um, undergrads think you're cool i think undergrads have a mixed opinion of me (laughs) i think it depends on (laughs) whether they're doing well in the class to some extent fair enough i try and be cool to everyone but sometimes if you're not doing well in the class it's hard to see how cool i really am yeah so um your main thing as a phd student though is you gotta you gotta submit some kind of research for them to give you the piece of paper, right? That's right. So what what's uh, what group what group in so what's like overarching? What what is your research group? What's their field? What's what's uh, without getting too specific right away? What's the general? Sure. So I guess like you know building up this pyramid from the bottom to the top. Um, I work mostly at the intersection of optical physics and condensed matter physics. Um. So, you know, that's anything involving light and matter. So that's pretty that's pretty broad to start us off. Um, more specifically, I work with uh, a, a class of materials called 2D materials. 
Um, and these are materials which are, uh, you know, between one and three atoms thick. Um, this is part of a larger field of physics called mesoscale physics, which is, I think, a really great name uh, because it, it kind of perfectly captures the kinds of systems it talks about. Meso, meaning middle, the middle of two scales. You have one scale that's like, you know, just absolutely so small, you know, atomically thin. But then the other dimensions are macroscopically large. So these 2D materials that I work with are, you know, a few hundreds of micrometers, uh, you know, a, a sizable fraction of a millimeter in width but they're only three atoms thin. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of a weird juxtaposition. And you get sort of a nice mixing of classical properties and also quantum properties because you're mixing those two scales together. Um, and so I use, you know, I mentioned that I do optical physics, so I interrogate these, you know, sort of unique materials using optical techniques. So for people that might not know, what's, uh, in a nutshell, cl classical quantum characteristics? Sure. So classical physics are all the, you know, physics you learn about in high school, I like to say. Um, you know, gravity, motion, um, and sort of just the things we experience in everyday life. Whereas quantum physics is what happens when you sort of scale everything down beyond the nanoscale and you really start talking about atomic or molecular features. Um, a lot of quantum physics is the results of high school chemistry. So if you take a chemistry class and a physics class in high school, the physics class is all classical physics and the chemistry class is actually secretly quantum physics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if, I, if you remember your, your, your like, SPD... Exactly. Orbitals from He's like a, high school chemistry. Exactly. It's actually physics. <laughs> right. It's actually it's everything is physics. <laughs> oh yeah, I like to say that to piss people off. Right. It works really well, yeah. especially with chemists. Well, it's like every everything you do is just like a subset of like what I did in school. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or have you ever seen the XKCD comic where it's like uh, it's like there's like a sociologist who who's like yelling at a psychologist. Oh, what you do is just applied yes. sociology uh, to the biologist. What you do is just applied psychology. I might goes all the way down to like the physicist and the physicist like, oh, you're just doing applied physics. And then way over in the back is a, is the math guy, the math guy. Like, hey, hey guys, what are you me. doing? <laughs> it's a classic. It's a great one. So then more specifically, you guys are building or have built mm -hmm. something called a Wigner crystal. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. So maybe it depends on who you ask. Uh, I, I pronounce it, it, I pronounce it Wigner crystal. Um, but we're not very uniform about that. Uh, Eugene Wigner has been dead for a long time, so he's not around to correct us anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is this is an exciting new direction that we've uh, been pursuing in our group since, uh, um, you know, just before the pandemic, basically. Mm -hmm. So what is a what is a what is a Wigner crystal? Yeah, no, so it's a great question. So uh, a Wigner crystal is a crystal of electrons. Um, so when you learn about crystals. In any other context, you normally think of it being built up of, of atoms or molecules. Like mm -hmm. if you go uh, for a hike and you find like, you know, a, a nice rock that seems to have its crystalline properties, that's, um, you know, like limestone is, I think, calcium sul sulfate. Um, and so it's, you know, these regular crystals that we go out and find in the world are made up of uh, molecules. They have a chemical formula. Um, and then you repeat those things periodically in, in space, and that's what gives you a crystal. Uh, table salt is probably the more familiar example for people. You get sodium chloride, you have sodium chlorine, sodium chlorine. You just have those alternating in you know, all three dimensions, and that gives you your nice little grain of, of table salt. Just don't spill it. Just don't spill it. Um, and if you have heart disease, don't eat too much of it, I guess. So, you know, there's the uh, health people. It's just applied physics. Um, <laughs> a Wigner crystal is a very, very different kind of beast. It happens when the electrons that exist in a solid, so you you start with a crystal, a real, you know, regular crystal that we all know and love, 
Um, and all the atoms that make that crystal up have their own electrons associated with them. And especially in like metals or semiconductors, these electrons are free to move around and that's what gives you conductivity. Um, and what Wigner proposed uh, some 75, 80 years ago is that these... 1934. 1934. Look at that. You're a good interviewer. Um, so was I close? 80? 85? 86? 85. Um, what he proposed is that the electrons moving around in the solid, if they were interacting with each other, could form their own crystal, just like the atoms that make up the host crystal mm -hmm. uh, form uh, when, when they're interacting with each other. Because, you know, a crystal doesn't have to... You know, you don't only show... You don't only ever have solids. You can have, uh, a you know, a crystal melt. You can, you know, you can melt salt. We don't do it very often, right, right, um, in everyday life. But you can melt these things, and and you can vaporize them. Um, and so it's best to sort of think about electrons in a solid as being in a sort of gaseous or a liquid state normally, and that's what gives you conductivity. They're flowing around. Um, but there's no reason to think that they can't interact with each other and actually crystallize and form a purely electronic crystal. And so that's that's what a Wigner crystal is. So it's a crystal of electrons. Yes. And it's it's it's. Oh, interesting. So I um. When I was reading about this beforehand, it, I I assumed the electrons were all like free, theoretically free, unbounded, but they're. These electrons are still associated with. Um, nu nuclei of their own, and potentially that make up another crystal. So it's like almost like a crystal, a cr like paired crystals. So we would we would uh. Uh, no. So in this case, because in our, in our research, we're working with, uh, semiconductors and in semiconductors, um, and in metals, the electrons, while they come from the atoms that constitute the crystal, they're no longer associated with a given atom. They're sort of unbound and free to, to roam throughout the whole solid. Okay. So it is its own thing. It's its own thing. Gotcha. And you, and you guys have created this. Yes. Yes. Us and another group, uh, were able to generate one of these Wigner crystals for the first time. First time ever. Uh, first time. Uh, well, there's maybe one caveat. Um, there has been a generalized Wigner crystal that's been created before. Um, so one way. So the original proposal for a Wigner crystal is you just have a bunch of electrons hanging out in the solid. They interact with each other and then they stabilize each other into a crystal. Um, however, you could also imagine having sort of pockets placed at regular intervals and if you put one electron into each pocket, it would look a lot like a crystal. Um, and so there have been other uh, groups which have experimentally created sort of nanoscaled pockets in, in semiconductors. And you're able to trap a single electron in each pocket. And they do interact with each, with each other once you achieve this kind of configuration. And so this is very Wigner crystal-esque, but you had to sort of have this extra ingredient. It's sort of, you know, you may, you've told it where you were going to put each electron. Um, instead of them sort of self-crystallizing. Gotcha. And the these crystals are in like. Sorry, do you want to take a sip of water? Is that what you were looking at? Well, I, I was thinking about it. Well, go for it. I can. I can clip it. So I was reading um, your your article, um, and so these electrons are um, in like basically like little sh sheets of semiconductors that are only like an electron high or wide, whatever, however you want to call it. So that they can really only theoretically move in two dimensions mm -hmm. because on either end of that slice of semiconductor, there's some material that an electron can't travel through. Exactly. And, uh, 
So there's really only a plane in which they can move. And when there there's enough electrons in a given configuration, we talked about it. I called it like looks like the, the Zelda symbol kind of. Yeah, exactly. So so that I mean, we, what we would say is that the electrons, uh, the Wigner crystal has a triangular lattice. Um, which exactly like it looks like the Triforce symbol. So you have, you have a blank space in the middle with, with three points around it, and then you can sort of tessellate that thing around mm -hmm. uh, the planes. That's what the the crystal is shaped like. Yeah, and for I'm I'm sure like some kind of elect electrostatic math that there's no need to get into. When they're in that formation, they they stay put. They don't they don't bounce around anymore. They're 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 stable and stay in that crystalline crystalline form. Yeah, you're exactly right. So the the way so we actually in our particular um, system. So like I mentioned, there were two different groups that sort of independently discovered these around the same time. Uh, in our group, we actually created what we're calling a bilayer Wigner crystal. Um, and so we actually had two layers of these uh, 2D semiconductors near each other. And so we observed that uh, Wigner crystal in the bottom layer uh, actually helps stabilize the crystal in the top layer. Um, and so the ratio of the number of electrons to the top and bottom layer only come in sort of special integer multiples. And it, and it is because of actually what you just said, which is just an electrostatics calculation. You don't need some like fancy quantum physics or anything. You just say like, if I have some charged spheres, like how can I pack them together in mm -hmm. order to minimize the energy? Um, and, and it turns out that you need a triangular lattice and they need to sort of be commensurate with each other. Very cool. So now is this something that um, now, so two groups have created it in the lab now. Is there any conceivable situation in nature where this could form? Well, so I would say that our situation is, I mean, it is a natural system um, in the sense that, especially with the other group's Wigner uh, crystal, which did not need to be in a bilayer, um, in it's just you have the semiconductor there. Um, we didn't do a whole lot to it. It's it's the natural form of the semiconductor. Um, and just by probing it, you see that the Wigner crystal is there. We are working at, I should say, extremely low temperatures, um, about 4 Kelvin, um, in, in some instances lower. So, you know, you send pretty one... Pretty low the, energy. Yeah, pretty low energy. So you send one of these materials to space, and you've created a natural Wigner crystal. Uh, to answer your question, I mean, like, it's not super obvious that, like, you know, we'll start having Wigner crystals, like, in our cell phones or anything or in the semiconductors that we use we We're fine on a hike like the limestone. Exactly. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's cool. So what does this, uh, what does this mean for the, the future of, like, your work or, or condensed matter physics in general? What's, like applications or, or, or avenues for new research. Yeah, definitely. So um, in terms of applications, like I said, like we're not, you know, while we're doing this in semiconductors, we're not like planning on making computer chips out of Wigner crystals or anything anytime soon. Um, there's a lot of very cool stuff in condensed matter physics that you could start to do now that we have a Wigner crystal for the first time. Um, because of this discussion we had at the top about the difference between quantum and classical systems, um, you know, an electron solid is a very sort of quantum material like this is a solid made of electrons these like subatomic particles um and so you can they behave in a very quantum way um in particular you can study sort of what's what's called quantum phase transitions um so you start off with this electron crystal you can melt the crystal and this is something we showed in the original publication um 
just by heating it up. You can show that it goes from being a crystal back to a liquid like it, it normally is. Um, but you can also do what's called quantum melting, um, which is when you actually, it's a little counterintuitive. You effectively increase the pressure of the electrons in the system. And you normally think like, you know, you increase the pressure, you're more likely to condense into a solid. But actually once the electrons wave functions start to overlap, they're actually in a sense uh, forced to repel each other and you get what's called quantum melting. Um, and so there's, cool. so there's sort of, uh, it's a nice natural playground for studying phase transitions of quantum objects. Um, they also, because electrons have spin, um, and spin, you know, being sort of the quantum of magnetization, uh, they're, in principle, magnetically active. And so we have some discussions going on with theorists right now about magnetic avenues and studying sort of quantum magnetism in these materials. Very cool. I just remembered something else I wanted to yeah. accuse you of. You guys using a lot of semiconductive material to do this? Oh, yes. All yes, semiconductive. Well, not, well, some of it's insulated. My, my brother's an engineer, and he was telling me apparently this past year there's been a big semiconductor shortage. Oh, big time. Is that because of you guys? Absolutely. You no guys question are about it. I have, you know, I have about um, five grams of it. So as long <laughs> as uh, if, the, if the shortage is by five grams, I apologize to everyone. Fair enough. For everyone who was tried to buy a car in the last year and was told <laughs> you can't because there's no semiconductor chips. God, yeah, I'm so I'm so glad I already have a car. Yeah, for it's just like next to impossible to get one right now. I heard about someone who recently sold their two-year-old Jeep and made a profit. I believe it. I've just insane. I mean, I need my car to go to work, but I was like, I could probably make some good money if I just sold it right now. How long's the commute? Could you just bike? I can. It's an hour-long bike ride. I have done it. It would be a lot to do every day because yeah. I can just take the the Minuteman uh, bike path up, mm. which is not far from here. But you would get faster over time. <laughs> yeah, I would. It's all uphill the way there. That's it's rough, but it's nice and quick the way back. Uh, the way back is borderline faster than driving with with with, with traffic, traffic. With traffic. Well, there's always traffic. Um, yeah. So, as a leading expert in crystals, what are what are your thoughts on uh on the healing type? Mm. Well, the only thing that a Vigner crystal is healed is uh. Now, I wouldn't be doing my job as a serious journalist if I didn't ask, is there any is there anything to healing crystals that like you think could is there anything that's not pseudoscientific? I'm sure the answer is no, but I'll ask anyways. Is there about is, healing they, crystals? Could there be I mean, I'm not even 100% sure what healing crystals are, but is there anything in crystals that you could spin zone into thinking maybe there's some kind of medical quality to this? I mean, I okay, suppose like, a lot of drugs are probably crystals. Yeah, I mean, if I want to, like, play devil's advocate, right? Like, you know, if you get, like, a chunk of iron and it's magnetized, like, you know, that could be, like, I mean, that's kind of like magic, right? Like, people, like, freak out when they, like, experience a magnet for a first time. Yeah, like, yeah. like, a little, well, I remember being a kid. Yeah. Or even adults, yeah, but like, I, but, like, you know, you could definitely be convinced that you pick up this rock and that this rock is magic, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's what, what like the caveman thought, right? Uh, so, but I mean, okay, so that's like a magnet. Mag magnetism is like basically magic. It, it, like the more you understand it, the less you know. I don't know what else. I don't know. There's probably like you know, say something nice about the healing crystal community. Tums are kind of like healing crystals for your belly. There you go. There you go. I'm sure there's some crystalline nature to a tum. I don't think I've ever actually taken a tum. 
This episode of Surely You're Joking, Mr. Fine, is brought to you by Tums. They're basically hearing crystals. Amazing. Oh, we they might sue over that. <laughs> might have to cut that part. <clears throat> or just claim parody law. One adult claim parody law. Absolutely. All or right. try and sell this episode to Tums. I could. I mean, I don't know if they need any more advertising. Mm. Threaten to keep it in and see if they'll pay you to take it out. Maybe. And then I then I can write these microphones off my taxes because I made money. Exactly. <laughs> Turn to profit. All right. So is there anything else about out Vigner crystals or your, your research you you would like to share? I mean, so many things, but <laughs> <laughs> that's too that's too vague of a question. No, I, I mean just um so I guess the only thing I would say is that and I mentioned that we study all these things optically. Um and it's maybe more I don't know, you can cut all this. Um it's maybe more detailed than we need, but the way we studied or the way we discovered this Victor crystal is there is actually by trying to study a completely different object um, in the same material. So the thing that I've spent my whole PhD studying is actually this thing called an exciton, um, which is much more exciting than uh, maybe the name <laughs> suggests. Uh, so in a semiconductor, you know, you have these electrons, but because the whole structure is neutral it's not it's not charged and electrons carry a negative charge there has to be some positive charge carrier also and we call it a hole mm -hmm. which is just you know the absence yeah. of an electron um and electrons and holes can can come into proximity with each other and actually bind together uh just the way that an electron and a proton can bind together to form a hydrogen atom mm -hmm. um and so actually the hydrogen analogy is very good because so in a hole for all intents and purposes, has a positive charge? It does, yes, exactly. It how has do, a positive how you, charge. How, how do you define, like, if, if the hole's the absence of an electron, how do you define a hole versus empty space? Uh, so you had to have had an electron. Uh, so basically, um, and th this is maybe a little detailed, but uh, you have a band structure in your solid. It's the, the way we describe it is that you, you have a band structure, which means that um, your electrons have some energy, as a function of their momentum. Um, and we, you know, you, maybe you've heard of a conduction band or a valence band. Um, if you don't, you can think about it in as just two different energy levels available to an electron in the solid. Um, and so normally all the electrons start at the lower energy level and you can add some energy and move them to the higher energy level. Um, it's that lower level after you've taken away an electron and moved it to the upper level it's that absence of an, uh, an electron that we consider a hole. So holes only exist in these lower uh, energy levels or in, in what we call the valence band. Um, so if you, you know, if you don't ever move any to the conduction band, you don't have any holes. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, here's a quick plug for some <laughs> exciton physics, which is, uh, uh, which we used as a sensor to find the Wigner crystal. So we were looking at excitons and basically, the way they interacted with the presence of the Wigner crystal is how we were able to actually find out that it was there. Gotcha. Kind of serendipitous. Yeah, we were, you know, <laughs> what we were doing was actually trying to, and we were, it was more of an engineering project, frankly. Um, and the postdoc who, who led the project was trying to trap excitons uh, electrostatically. Um, and essentially, what happened was the trapping device wasn't working. But he noticed this very strange feature um, that appeared in, in their 
in their signal. Um, and, and upon trying to figure out exactly what this thing was, we discovered that there was actually a crystal or an insulating state present. Um, because like I mentioned at the top, when you have sort of an electron liquid, that gives you conductivity. And when it crystallizes, that actually means that your conductivity goes to zero. It becomes an insulator. Um, and so we know what excitons and insulators look like. And all of a sudden, our excitons were behaving like they were in an insulator. Um, so, you know, you go, to, you go out trying to study one thing and you find something else that's very cool. There you go. It's like that, uh, it's like that cheesy poster that's in like every high school science class. It's like the, the beginning of every great scientific discovery doesn't begin with Eureka. It begins with, huh, that's funny. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We're basically the guy who found penicillin. Like, it's the same deal. Oh, was that an accident, too? This sounds familiar. Yeah. I think it's Fleming. Okay. I should know the, I should know my penicillin story it's better. Crystal, right? it's, it's Probably crystal. not. Probably not. Okay. I don't know. Well, isn't it like a mold? Is it? I don't, oh, I I'm pretty know. sure the I'm pretty sure the whole deal with penicillin is that he was like, he like left out a uh, uh, sandwich or something and like got mold oh, on like his right. like. That does sound familiar. He got some like mold on his bacteria cultures and found out one of them was dead. And he's like, why is my bacteria dead? And it's like, Oh, you got mold on it. It's like, Oh, this mold kills bacteria. Huh? But when I eat the sandwich, I'm fine. Maybe if I eat the sandwich, it'll kill my bacteria. I'm, I'm, I'm not giving good credit to, <laughs> to his scientific process. One man's moldy <laughs> sandwich is another man's syphilis cure. Exactly. So another thing I wanted to uh, ask you about, um, little more personal but i am very curious to hear your thoughts um because i i know you well and i know that you you're one of the smartest people i know and one of really high up in the the world of physics and science and you know academia and i know you're also a very um religious person and I, i i respect that a lot um i've personally changed a lot since i was like 17 um with regards to like attitude towards religion um and i'm just kind of thought i'd try to maybe pick your brain a little bit think like yeah your 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 take on like you know because a lot of people might be like bah, religion science those don't bah, 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 bah. so i was just wonder what your thoughts on just kind of that is sure so <clears throat> yeah i guess so i've been like a well-practicing catholic not not always like i wasn't super raised into it um i went to a catholic high school and you know i don't know a lot of people rebel in high school but i thought a lot of what was being said made sense to me um and so it became a very important part of my life um but you're absolutely right there is like some you know contingency of people out there who kind of use science as a bludgeon for religion um I'm sure that they've had negative experiences with religion. I don't hold that against them in particular. Um, but I don't particularly think that that's a good argument. Um, in particular, I think that the things we're trying to address with science and the things we're trying to address with religion are generally pretty decoupled. And in fact, one is not well suited to answer the questions of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it goes the other way too. I think that if you're like, we were talking about healing crystals earlier, sorry, we're going to get that, Tom's uh, sponsorship revoked, but I think if you're like super into healing crystals, like, and you have like great faith in like some like mysticism or something that that has convinced you that this like magic spirit is going to heal you of your cancer, like I think that that's horribly misguided. Also, um, and, and so I, you know, uh, people have 
different needs and and uh we're asking different questions and i think I mean, you, we were joking a lot, but, you know, a biologist does not answer the same questions as a chemist, as a physicist, as a sociologist. Um, and so I think that people who study, you know, theology are probably going to have a different perspective than people who study physics. Yeah. I, I like what you said about the, the they're not they're not they're not asking or answering the same questions. They don't have to be at odds with each other. And I, I think of something um, that you you probably don't even remember this this is i was like a freshman or sophomore i think at one of like our our physics clubs meetings in undergrad or whatever and you and another friend of yours of ours said this to me and i remember it actually kind of stuck with me because i think i just said something douchey about like i don't know, like science isn't faith-based or something and like and you guys said well, like well it's there's a there's a faith that it will continue to work the same way I was like, yeah, well, that 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 kind of stuck with me, and I remember like hearing in another class, it's like, oh yeah, like you know, we have these sets of rules and laws and constants that we've you know developed over centuries of physics, but you know, at the end of the day, there's kind of like a faith that those will be continue to be true, like you know, the gravitational constant, right, is six point six seven times ten to the negative eleven. It's like, okay, why? Like we're we kind of have a there's like sort of a quasi faith there that that number will remain being will remain that number, and you know, if there's some kind of like you know frequency of strings, it's a real you know superficial view of string theory i know i think i don't know much but like that's you know it's very easy to make that sound almost kind of religious if there's like some you know all these strings that govern the different you know constants and you know whether something is an inverse square law and inverse cube law and it's like it oh, kind yeah. of gets kind of it, it it it's not all that different from like believing in a god if it's you know it's some kind of like cosmic harp that has to stay tuned for physics to continue working the same way yeah, yeah, and I think it's also funny when you f have scientists who just like are totally, totally committed to like some idea of theirs, um, whether it be that they have some data that they are uh, absolutely convinced shows phenomenon A, and actually there's no consensus, and another group has the same data set, and he says, no, this clearly shows you phenomenon B, and this, I mean, oh, this yeah. happens from this happens all the time, and and you know you can be totally at odds with each other. <laughs> and this is like, you know, people who are being like as rigorous as they can, but you know, we let our humanity break into it a little bit. Absolutely. Um, I think the other, I mean, I think if you tried to have scientists answer the questions that you address with philosophy and, and theology, I think you get some pretty sad outcomes. Um, you know, you could just use like the second law of thermodynamics to justify nihilism. You can be like, well, you know, entropy is increasing and the universe is doomed and we will die a terrible heat death yeah. to be like, I don't, you know, there are no, we there's have no laws. There's no morality. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I do. Nothing is meaningful. And I think that that's contrary to our lived experience to mm -hmm. say that everything is meaningless. And, <laughs> um, cause I, I don't feel that way. So I agree. Well, I was curious to get your thoughts on it. Yeah. You know, cause I think there's a lot of, and I, I mean, I was that person when I was like 17, you know, like the, like, God, yeah. like you believe in God, <laughs> like idiot. Um, like then how do you explain this? Like, right. have you ever heard of science? Yeah. I guess in, in terms of the, like, <clears throat> how do you explain this is also like, there's a lot of things we can't explain and, yeah. you know, we're working very hard on them, but like a lot of things we like, you know, and even if we do explain them, sometimes they still don't make sense. Like, I think a lot of people 
Um, you know, Einstein was famously very uncomfortable with quantum mechanics. Um, yeah. th- I mean, there's a lot of stuff that like is very like counterintuitive. God doesn't play dice, right? God doesn't play dice. Um, and there, are, I mean, there are just these things that even in in physics like seem kind of like impossible to believe. Um, oh, yeah. But we measure them and we find them to be true. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking specifically um, of the fact that you can like entangle. I mean. It, it, this is too much detail, I'm sure, but you can entangle particles so that they're like, you know, intimately related. You can bring them to separate corners of the universe. Um, and because they're entangled, if you like make a measurement on one in a, in a quantum mechanical sense, then it's going to be, you know, let's say it's a spin. If you measure with the first one to be spin up, then on the other side of the universe, the other one is now officially pointing spin down, even if it wasn't before you made a measurement over here. And there's no way that like communicating at the speed of light, one could have talked to the other, but somehow the two like know how to coordinate in this fashion. And that's, Kind of, you know, it's pretty kind of magical. They, they, yeah, it's kind of magical. Spoo- that's spooky action. It's right? spooky action yeah, at yeah. a distance. Is the is the, the Einsteinian term. name for it? And I think it's perfect. I think it's a perfect name for it. It's spooky. It's like it's very it mysterious, and it it we know it's true. We've done them. We've done the experiments, and we found that it's true. Um, but in terms of like how how can this be? I don't know that there's a. I mean, we have like a we have theory to describe like the way it works and we can make predictions and we know it'll happen every time. But like, like why does the universe work that way? It's not, that's not the question we're allowed to ask. We're not even allowed to ask that question. Like why does the universe work this way? No, we just, who's to say whether or not it'll continue acting that way. Exactly. We're just allowed to say, how does the universe work? And we say, well, it works this way. Why? That's, that's someone else's question. So much stuff, especially in quantum mechanics, just like, just go like for anybody, like you don't have to have taken a quantum class. Just go pull up a random Wikipedia article on any kind of tenant of quantum mechanics and just read it. It's like this doesn't. This sounds completely ridiculous, but it's been measured and it works. Wikipedia is probably it's, good. Don't go to YouTube it, unless you're finding like a reputable YouTube source. There's definitely some like crackpots out there on YouTube oh, trying to sell you their quantum snake oil. Oh, you know that reminds me. Callback. I I I YouTube searched. Vigner crystal. Okay. Um. And I don't think any there are any videos actually about Vigner crystals. There might have oh, been, but like so an opportunity some, arises. There you go. Start a YouTube channel. Um. <clears throat> but um, one of the results was like some, and I don't know. I'll ask you. Maybe you're. Maybe this is a real thing, and you're familiar with it. But it just reeked of like YouTube crackpot. There was like the top result was like something about quote unquote time crystals. Oh no! This is a real thing. That's a thing. Yeah, this is, oh, a, big, this okay. is, this is a very active uh, modern field of research. Oh, okay. What? What? Do you know what a time crystal is? Uh, I probably can't do it justice. Um, but the basic idea is a time crystal is a system that behaves in time the way a crystal does in space. So a crystal is repeating infinitely in space, um, mm-hmm. and a time crystal is a system which evolves uh, from one point in time to another periodically. Um, so you can think of it, it's kind of like a pendulum. Um, I mean, a pendulum would be an example of a time crystal. If if somehow there was no damping or no friction mm-hmm. or no, no nothing that could possibly yeah, like yeah. mess up the system. Um, in in so the real like in the real world, in the vacuum, exactly. But it, but even there, you're, there's oh, still, still going like to be some kind of loss. Stuff, a real yeah. a real time crystal has no loss associated with it. It will go forever um, without absorbing energy so it's it's in some sense a perpetual motion machine 
um, which is making it sound more and more like this thing you found on YouTube is made up. But I promise it's real and a very, <laughs> a very exciting thing that people are working well, on. I might have to go back and watch that YouTube video. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 the ideal pendulum that your physics, your high school physics class wish existed but never did. It'll go forever. No dissipation allowed. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Well, are you like you're not public on Twitter, right? No. Okay, so I, I'll cut this part then. I, if you if you were public, I would have said if you wanted to plug your your Twitter or something. But all right, I'll just nix that part. No. Cool. Cite my papers, please. <laughs> oh, do you have any papers no, you want to plug? No, no, it's fine. No, I'll put them in the description. I uh, no, I'm good for now. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much. You'll know them when you see them. What? Do you, what? You'll know them when you see them. The papers? Oh yeah. Okay. They'll be all all over, or at least on the archive. Who's archive? Never mind. You should cut this. <laughs>